Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Hey, good morning, Connect Church. I want to do this real quick. Zach and his team worked a lot of long hours this week to present a small Christmas presentation right here uh, for us today, and they did a wonderful job. Can we thank them for all their hard work? Man, welcome to Connect Church. I'm Pastor Anthony. It's our heartbeat at Connect Church to connect everyone with the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you're visiting with us today, we are so honored that you are here. So welcome and thank you for being a part. You know, usually we open up with a prayer and praise segment somewhere in the welcome, but no welcome today. But I do want to celebrate one praise that came in, and that is Jimbo and Mandy. Y'all are grandparents for the first time. Congratulations, Austin and Alex, who are part of Connect Church, had their baby. I'm sure they're watching online this morning. We are so happy for you, and man, I can't wait to hold that baby. Can't wait to hold that baby, but congratulations, and man, we want to celebrate with those who celebrate. We weep with those who weep, and it's a joy to be the family of God. And I'm going to tell you, it is so good to be back after missing last Sunday. I'll be honest. No, it's not. Hey, listen, um, let, me, let me see if I can get this thing Hey, this may be where I grab my staff again because after I was gone for a week. Hey, Zach, here's a weird box on my computer. Let's see if I just fixed it. Did I just work? I did. Hey, this was our view last week. And so we're not really glad to be back. Um, we had to be back. We, um, we celebrated 15 years of marriage. Aaron and I did last, uh, last week. And I promised her every five years I'd take her back to Mexico where we honeymoon, uh, the exact place we honeymoon, and we would just, uh, we'd spend a week together every five years. We've now bumped that up to every year um, after this past weekend. And I'm going to tell you, I want to say a special thanks to Eric last week who did a wonderful job preaching the gospel. We, um, we had a chance to watch and worship with you guys. And in fact, Aaron caught some footage of me listening to the sermon on the beach. And... Uh, <laughs> uh, my father-in-law always tells me that how he gets to sleep, you know, he travels, he's a Southern Gospel singer, and how he sleeps on the bus is he puts on my message, and he falls right to sleep, and so I had to come back with that just a little bit, but it, it really is, it is so good uh, to be back with you here at Connect Church. We've been preaching through the Gospel of John. We've camped out in John chapter 3 on this incredible conversation, one of the greatest conversations in all the Bible, that conversation between Nicodemus and Jesus, where out in the cover of darkness, Nicodemus seeks out Jesus. But today, we, we hit the pause button for a moment on this conversation. And we go back to a verse that 12 weeks ago, I skipped over and told you 12 weeks ago on December 18, I'm going to come back and we're going to preach this for our Christmas message together. And so today we do just that. Why? Because this one verse has one of the deepest teachings in all of the Bible. One of the deepest teachings of Christmas. Now you might ask, what does the Gospel of John have to do with Christmas? There is no Christmas account or Christmas story like we find in the Gospels of Matthew or Luke here in John. In fact, the Gospel of John has the rap 
for no Christmas story at all, but I would argue it does have one, albeit it's a short Christmas story. In fact, just one verse. You see, the entirety of Christmas is encapsulated in verse 14 of John chapter 1. I promised 12 weeks we would come back to it, and so here we are. In your Bibles, in the Gospel of John chapter 1, verse 14, the Bible simply says this, And the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Wow! What a Christmas Verse 10 words. Now, now listen to me. I know this. That this Christmas verse is not the crowd favorite to read around the Christmas tree on Christmas morning. Hey, this verse didn't make Charlie Brown Christmas, right? Luke hogged the spotlight there. There is no Mary did you know springing forth out of this type of verse. There's no mention of a manger. There's no Bethlehem baby scene. There's no angels, no wise men, no gifts. There's not even the little drummer boy. He didn't make it in any of the other Gospels either, but deserves an honorable mention. Hey, by the way, I, I've been married to a lady who's had four kids, and let me tell you the last thing she wants to hear after having a baby is a little child banging on a drum, right? But he didn't even, you can't even find this guy here. No star stealing the show. This verse is Jesus, and only Jesus. Now listen, I love all the other stuff. I love mangers and angels and wise men and the star, but if you don't put Jesus in the manger scene, then all of it is absolutely meaningless. I have a pastor uh, who's a brother, so, so Dominic's on staff with us. We have another brother who pastors a great church in Seymour, Oak City. And, uh, and we've been over to his house a couple times as our entire family celebrated Thanksgiving together over there. And we also celebrated my mom and my sister-in-law Meredith's birthday over there. Now, to tell you something about my brother is we're a little different. He's a skinny, jean-wearing pastor, right? He just, he has a whole different vibe than I do. Um, actually, has a wardrobe. But anyway, different story. But, but I love my brother, love going to his house, but he's also OCD. Uh, he loves decorating. He likes things being perfect. I can't stand that, right? He just, that is his personality. And so every time I go over to his house, especially at Christmas time, I move stuff. And so I move his stockings. I go to pictures and I just do this on the side of them. Boop. And man, I, listen, everything I could do, I literally go over to his house and the whole time I just move stuff. Why? Because it ticks him off. And it just brings joy to me at Christmas time. And, and so he has a manger scene that he loves in his living room. I mean, proud. He's got his beautiful garland around. It's just so annoying. But I love the manger scene. And, and so, man, on two occasions, I stole baby Jesus. <laughs> and I hid baby Jesus among the other Christmas stuff. And I love it because at some point, he'll notice baby Jesus isn't there. And then I could tell he's mad because he thinks one of the kids taking baby Jesus. He starts looking everywhere. And three days later, I send him a text and tell him where baby Jesus is, right? It's just this whole thing we go through because I, I love my brother. Here's what I love about John chapter 1, verse 14. You ready? There's no hunt for Jesus in this Christmas verse. There is only Jesus that the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Again, we see in verse 14 
the title word used for Jesus. We covered this 12 weeks ago. Hey, but let me remind you real quick what this title means. In the Greek language, it's one of my favorite words. It's logos. And we find this, that logos simply is translated word. Logos means word. It's an expression of thought. Yet John uses it as a name for Jesus here in this verse. In fact, if we were to look back at verse 1 and verse 2 of John chapter 1, which is this, that in the beginning was the Word speaking of Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. A pretty incredible title for Jesus. To the Jews, the Word or the Logos of God was synonymous with the, the power of God. To the Greek, the word or the logos was this impersonal force used to explain the existence of reason and order in the universe. And so what John is telling the Jews in this passage in verse 14 was simply this, that the power of God has clothed himself in flesh and become a person. To the Greeks, logos, the word is not some impersonal force, but a person, God in the flesh, named Jesus Christ, you see. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. The teaching here, this teaching of Christmas, Jesus becoming flesh and making His dwelling among us is called the incarnation, which simply means clothed in flesh. There's a story told of a little girl who one night cried out to her mother, Mom, I'm scared to be in this dark room alone. And the mom cries back, Listen, don't worry. The Lord is with you. And the little girl called back, yeah, but I want someone with skin on. Jesus is God with skin on. How did Jesus put this skin on? Well, the angel would tell Mary how he did it in Luke chapter 1. Verses 34 and 35 is the angel tells Mary that the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Some of the most beautiful language in all the New Testament is right here. Although I read it, I don't fully understand it, but I am moved to worship by it. What a beautiful mystery, the incarnation of Jesus but not only did God clothe himself in flesh, but the Bible says he dwelled with us. The word dwelling there literally means that Jesus tabernacled with us. Now this verb tabernacle uh, is, is not something that you and I use a lot in our everyday. <laughs> when was the last time we said, hey, let's, let's go tabernacle together, right? You just don't do that. But if you're a Jewish person reading this text, your mind immediately comes alive. It goes back to the Old Testament, to Exodus chapter 33, to a place called the tabernacle. Let me read this text for you. Watch this in Exodus 33, verse 7. Now Moses used to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Later on, a few verses, as Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud, by the way, which was synonymous with the presence of God, standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood in worship, each at the entrance of their own tent. The Lord would speak to Moses, I love this, face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp. You see, in the days of Moses, God met with his people. God dwelled with his people in a temporary tent 
known as the tabernacle, which traveled with them in the wilderness. This is the word and the picture that John uses to describe Jesus in verse 14, that Jesus tabernacled with us. Here's what John was saying, that Jesus pitched a tent of flesh and he set up camp in our backyard to live with us so that he could die for us. You see, John's use of the imagery of the tent here in verse 14 is fitting. Why? Because we all live in tents, don't we? This whole body is like a tent of flesh in that it's only a, a temporary home for my soul and our souls being that which is eternal that goes to live on forever. And just as our souls are housed in a tent of flesh, so too was Jesus Fully God, fully man. What a wonderful mystery. You know, I think back to the tabernacle. Here's one of many diagrams you can pull up of what the tabernacle looked like in the Old Testament times. And here's what I begin to find. That every aspect of the tabernacle in the Old Testament speaks of Jesus and points to a time where Jesus, God in the flesh, would tabernacle with us. And what John does here in verse 14 of chapter 1 is he begins to connect the dots between what this Old Testament tabernacle pointed to and the very one it pointed to, who is Jesus. For instance, just as the tabernacle was the place where God dwelt with his people and showed his glory, so Jesus dwelt with us. He pitched a tent of flesh and showed us his glory. Just as the tabernacle was to be at the center of Israel's camp, so Christ is to be at the center of his church, by the way, which is you and me. I begin to look out here in this outer courtyard, and I see a brazen altar, which means a bronze altar. And it would be there that they would sacrifice animals for the forgiveness of sins of God's people. And then I begin to realize that that altar points to Jesus, the final sacrifice, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. And then I look and I see this brazen laver, this place where the priests would come and they would wash their hands to become ceremonially clean, to be able to worship God. And I think, man, that laver right there pointed to Jesus who would one day make us all clean spiritually and forever. And I go in here and I see inside this temple a pretty incredible set up in the holy place which was right outside the holy of holies there's a table of showbread and I begin to think that in John chapter 6 Jesus said I am the bread of life and this table of showbread pointed to Jesus who is our bread of life also inside this place was a menorah with seven burning lights at night it would be lit with olive oil would fan the flame And the light would shine in the tabernacle each and every night. And then I'm reminded of John chapter 14 where Jesus said, Hey, I am the light of the world. And I realized that even that menorah points to Jesus there in the holy place. And then we get to the most sacred of places behind the curtain. Into the holies of holies of this tabernacle. And there it is. The Ark of the Covenant, commissioned uh, by God of acacia wood and plated with pure gold. It sat inside the most holy of places 
in the tabernacle. And inside that Ark of the Covenant were several things among them. The tablets that the Ten Commandments were written down on. They were the very law of God. And yet they were pointing to the one who would fulfill the law, whose name is Jesus. Also inside of the Ark of the Covenant was Aaron's staff, his rod, that through a miracle of God budded and flowered. There it is in the Ark of the Covenant. Speaking of the branch promised by Isaiah, Jeremiah, Zechariah, the branch who would one day die for our sins and rise again. And then I think of this Ark of the Covenant. And here's a closer picture of what it would look like. I see two cherubim on top. And in between them, the mercy seat of God. Remember the cloud of God's presence we talked about in Exodus 33? This is where that cloud would rest. And this is where God would meet with his people in the tabernacle. And one time a year, the high priest would take the blood of the sacrifice and sprinkle the blood here right in the middle between the cherubim and the mercy seat. And there our sins would be atoned for. Meaning this, the wrath and judgment of God against sin would be satisfied because blood was spilt. And then I'm reminded of Jesus who left heaven who clothed himself in flesh and made his dwelling among us so that he could take that tent of flesh, allow it to be crucified, his blood to be spilt once and for all so that the wrath of God against our sin, the judgment of God against our sin could be satisfied forever so that you and I would know the forgiveness of our sin. What's amazing is, is no matter where I look in this tabernacle, everything in it points to Jesus. Every ounce of it points to him. It was purposeful. In John's part, here in John chapter 1, verse 14, it was purposeful to invoke the imagery of the tabernacle and then to say that Jesus clothed himself in flesh. And hey, he tabernacled with us. But what was the purpose of Jesus tabernacling, pitching a, a tent of flesh and dwelling with us? Well, Matthew's gospel sums it up pretty nicely. As the angel speaks with Joseph, uh, li listen to what the angel says to him. That she, meaning Mary, will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. Because watch this, you ready? Because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, by the way, which is Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Listen to this. God with us. But how would God be with us? You see, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This was a picture I took on March 30th, 2020. You guys might remember that time period, right? That was the time that we all took two weeks to stop the spread. You're supposed to stay home. Every business was closed down, but I took my wife and kids, and we just wanted to drive through Sevierville and Pigeon Forge and Gatlinburg. On March 30th, at night... There was not a single car on the road as we drove through Pigeon Forge. There was not a business open 
And honestly, it was one of the most eerie of feelings. You remember those times? As we drove through Pigeon Forge, I looked over at Stages West. Stephen, who comes to church here, longtime owner of Stages West. And I looked up on his sign. And lit up there in Pigeon Forge, really it catches every eye, was these simple words, God is with us. Honestly, Stephen, that sign did more to encourage my soul than he could ever know. It was a reminder of what John chapter 1 verse 14 teaches of what Christmas celebrates. And that is that Jesus left heaven, he clothed himself in flesh, and he tabernacled, he dwelled with us. Why? Because he wanted to. He wanted to. And that blows my mind. And I want you to get that. Why did John 1.14 take place? Why did Christmas happen? It's because God wanted to be with you and with me. I don't understand it. I begin to think, think how all the things God could have done with us. What he could have done, and I'm all the more amazed at verse number 14, the Christmas story. Think of it. God could have destroyed humanity when Adam and Eve rebelled, committed treason, sinned against him in the garden. But he didn't. At that scandalous scene in the garden, God could have said, you know what? I am done with you, humanity. You're on your own. But he didn't. And here's what God could have done that really kind of scares me the most. And that is, God could have dealt with us as we deserved. Meaning this, he could have removed his grace, he could have removed his mercy, and only left judgment and wrath against our sin. But he didn't. Instead of destroying us, being done with us, or dealing with us as we deserve, God, in his grace, in his love, and in his mercy, chose to dwell with us. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. My family loves going to Cades Cove. Um, we get to camp sometimes in, in Townsend in the summer, and we always make our way over, over to Cades Cove. And here's the, here's the star of the show. The deer are cool. Right? We get to see some coyotes out there every so often. There's horses and stuff. It's all cool. But we're, we're in it for the bears. We love watching the bears, and so do the other six billion people on the loop at the same time we are. We'll pull over once we see, and usually it's a mama and her cubs playing. We'll pull over on the side of the road, and we'll just get outside the van, and, and as long as they're far enough away, man, we'll just sit there and watch them. We'll watch those cubs play and run and, and chase each other and wrestle around. We'll watch the mama see forages for, or tree, or for nuts that have fallen from trees or berries and and man, if they're out there for an hour, we're out there for an hour. Man, I love the bears at Cage Cove. But I never once considered becoming one of them. Never once did I look at the bears and go, hey, why don't I try to become a bear? The, the bear world holds no appeal to me. 
I mean, think of it. Who wants to sleep next to a furry, smelly beast that probably snores terribly each night? No comment, Aaron. Hey, who wants to do that? I mean, not me. Don't sign me up for that. Give up a warm home in the winter, air conditioner in the summer, college football in the fall, and bacon every day. Hey, no thanks. I mean, give it up for a really cold winter, a cold den and hollowed out tree, live out in summer heat when the summer comes, having every day to hunt for my food, to forage for berries. Count me out. But count Jesus in. What a world he left. Our classiest mansions here on earth would be but a cold, damp, and dark, dirty den in heaven. Earth's finest cuisine wouldn't even make it on heaven's table. And the idea of becoming a big, furry, smelly bear is nothing compared to God becoming an embryo and entering the womb of Mary. God clothing himself in flesh and making his dwelling among us. Count me out. But count Jesus in. You see, Jesus clothed himself in flesh and tabernacled. He dwelled with us. And because of that church, you ready? There's some things that don't have to dwell in you anymore. Hey, you ready? Fear doesn't have to dwell in you anymore. Worry and anxiety does not have to dwell in us anymore. Loneliness does not have to dwell anymore. Hatred and bitterness does not have to dwell in you anymore. The power of sin to dominate, to distract, to destroy, to devastate you does not have to dwell in you anymore. Addiction does not have to dwell in you. Alcoholism doesn't have to dwell in you anymore. Pornography doesn't have to dwell in you anymore. Adultery doesn't have to dwell in you anymore. Lying and cheating doesn't have to dwell in you anymore. Why? Because Jesus clothed himself in flesh and dwelled among us. And now by faith, he dwells in us. And all things that tear us up. And all those things that tear us down no longer have the rights to dwell in us any more. Why? Because the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. Robert Stevenson was a famous Scottish engineer. He was grandfather to the well-known Robert, writer Robert Louis Stevenson. Well, he was born in 1772. And a hundred years after the birth of this Scottish hero, they held a great parade in his honor in Newcastle. It was a huge procession of banners that just celebrated their hero, Robert Stevenson. But if you were to take the parade route that day, what would catch your eye is not the beauty of the pageantry, not even the parade itself, but something that stuck out in the parade that day. You see, there were a small number of peasants among the noble people. Being peasant, they were poor and they were lowly. They seemed dingy in the crowd. There was a space between them and the nearest people to them in a parade route where everybody stood shoulder to shoulder because nobody wanted to stand with them. And yet they held 
a simple banner. And their banner said this, of Robert Stevenson, simply this, that he was one of us. That he was one of us, and he surely was. You see, he was born in their small and poor town. He never had forgotten where he'd come from. And so some of the citizens of this tiny village made their way to his parade on his birthday to pay him honor. You know, I get to thinking about this parade we have called Christmas every year. The lights, the gifts, the pageantry of what is Christmas. And then I begin to remember that really there is one celebration of Christmas above every other celebration. Hey, believer, this is the banner we raise, and that is this, that Jesus, He was one of us. He was one of, the, one of us. You see, because the Word, who's Jesus, became flesh, He clothed Himself in flesh he pitched a, a tent of flesh and he tabernacled. He, he dwelled with us. Church, our celebration is that Jesus, he was one of us. And hear me, ready? He became one of us so that he could save all of us who would but by faith place their faith and trust in Him as the one Savior, as our only Lord. You see, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. He is one of us. Let's pray together, can we? And as we pray, Hey, believer, hey, Christ follower, man, can I, can I ask you a question real quick? What is it that you're allowing to dwell in you, to live rent-free in your mind, in your heart, and in your life that doesn't have to because now Jesus dwells in you? What is it that dwells in you today that is distracting you, that is destroying you, that's devastating your relationship with the Lord? Is there some anger and bitterness in you that's dwelling in you when it doesn't have to? Is there some fear that just doesn't make any sense that's dwelling in you and it doesn't have to? Why? Because now you and I we are, we are now the tabernacles of God. We are now the temples of God, His Spirit. And because Jesus lives in you, that means some other things don't have to. And you know what? As we prepare our heart for Christmas in a week, I wonder if today we just don't take a moment and clean shop. And we don't call out those things that dwell in us now. Man, and by the way, I just did a short list up there. <laughs> Addictions and alcoholism and there's pornography, there's adultery, there's lies, there's cheating, there's anger and bitterness, there's I mean there's so many things that that we allow to dwell in us that don't have to. 
Because Jesus, God in the flesh, dwells in us through his spirit. That this power of sin to distract and to destroy and to devastate us, listen, has power no more. And so I wonder as we, in a moment, just close and just uh, refrain. I wonder right now, believer, if you couldn't just call out that which dwells in you that should. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.